Welcome to the YPAR podcast, a project of the Youth Research Lab at the Ontario Institute for Studies in Education. In the YPAR podcast, youth participatory action research practitioners discuss the ethical dimensions of conducting YPAR. In our podcast, we explore issues of co-leading YPAR projects, building relationships, power dynamics, and sharing our work together. The Youth Research Lab is located in Toronto on the traditional territories of the Huron-Wendat, the Seneca, and most recently, the Mississaugas of the Credit River. It is, uh, it is therefore was always wanting to be a library that responds. So Kelegeta is a call response, the response being Kelegeta, I'm here to listen to you with active participation. Mm-hmm. There's a drawing from responding to uh, the political conditions, uh, seeking to create that which is not there for you. Welcome everyone. My name's Naima and I'm the host of the YPAR podcast. I'm currently a graduate assistant here at the Youth Research Lab. I'm also a YPAR practitioner with a background working in schools. And we're back this month with another exciting conversation. Last month you heard from Sarah and Ruben. Today's episode is the first in a three-part conversation between Ranguato Hassani, or Ra, and Ruben Gastambide Fernandez. Ra is a YPAR practitioner, co-founder of Keliketla Library, and a lecturer at the University of the Witwatersrand in Johannesburg, South Africa. Ruben is a YPAR practitioner, director of the Youth Research Lab, and a professor at the University of Toronto. They're going to be discussing how YPAR plays out in marginalized geographies, and specifically in the context of the Joubert Park neighborhood in Johannesburg. In this episode, they will discuss Keliketla, a library and media arts project co-founded by Ra. Keliketla was based at Johannesburg's historic drill hall in the Joubert Park neighborhood between 2008 to 2015, and it was actually the site where Nelson Mandela and 156 prominent freedom fighters were tried for treason in 1956. So, the operating space of Keliketla holds a heavy significance. Keliketla is now based at King Kong, a multidisciplinary art space and concert venue which is also in Johannesburg. Together, both Ra and Ruben will explore how are cultural spaces born of creative resistance by populations neglected by the city? What are the ways that young people come together and actively create their own spaces and institutions in order to engage in the arts? What is the significance of spaces like the historic drill hall as being the site that allows young people to share space, imagine, and create the programming they hope for? This conversation was recorded outdoors in Johannesburg. I'm sure you can hear the children playing and the birds chirping in the background of the conversation. Hearing the sounds of the outdoors throughout the entire conversation brought me so much joy. And with that, let's jump in. Thank you for doing this, having this conversation with me and allowing me to record it. It's really it's really an honor and just a, such a pleasure to keep having these conversations with you and 
you know, I hope that whatever it is that is transpires between us is somehow useful to somebody else. And if not, then it will just be a gift to each other. It's a gift to each other, yeah. yeah. Um, really, it's an equal honor and a pleasure. Yeah. Um, and indeed a privilege because uh, it's borrowed time, right? Like yeah. uh, we, we're trying to make the best of the time that we have together. Yeah. So as I was saying before, I think it would be great if, can you describe Kelekella, the beginnings of Kelekella uh, and, and, and the work that you do for people who are not familiar with it? And, and I'm, I'm particularly curious about what were the commitments that moved you to this? You right. know, what were the sort of both ethical, political commitments yeah. that, that sort of moved you to this process of yeah. arriving at your practice? Um, Yo, yeah, uh, as they say, um, there are always many ways to enter any story, and there, you know, there are many pathways into it. Uh, but one of the the first stories that I really always go back to is uh, the meeting of myself and Malusi Malatela. Who is basically the one person whom we we have carried through this Galicia project for many years? Uh, we met at a <coughs> at a cipher, a hip hop cipher. The cipher is a space of a circle in which knowledge is transferring in mm -hmm. a circle, one person after the other. Was very important, but in that circle there are many different personalities, mm -hmm. biographies, characteristics, rhythm styles. Uh, so. So you always fill each other up, you mm -hmm. know, as to who am I feeling, who's saying what, uh, whose style I'm feeling. So you can feel each other on a stylistic level, you can feel each other on a thematic level, um, all kinds of things. Um, so from that very first session where we connected, we became the core organizers of pulling people together into these sessions every Friday. I started in my room, into another person's room and Malos' room. Towards the end of 2007, we were feeling like, okay, now we are living in student accommodation, but we want to keep this connection, this community, this collectivity. So that's when we spoke to people who were running the space at the draw hall, doing arts and culture programs within other programs that were happening within the space. Mm -hmm. uh, and that's when the idea of starting a library started. Um, and because then it was sort of start starting a library formed by not bureaucrats, uh, administrators, um, but by artists. Mm -hmm. um, the library itself had to be something else, had to mm -hmm. reimagine itself, had to reimagine libraries and what they can be, mm -hmm. right? Um, I've always been interested in, in literature and reading and writing, uh, not only writing lyrics, but also writing many other different kinds of, of things. So that, that also became important in terms of what kind of library should this become? But at the time, we really were not so conscious about what, you know, how we are thinking about what kind of library we should do. The only thing was that children became the most, the main recipients, the mm -hmm. main beneficiaries, right? Mm -hmm. uh, who came because, because as you can imagine, the dynamism and the compact nature and the density of it, there are very few spaces for children. Mm -hmm. And because it had this public square as a building, mm -hmm. as this mm -hmm. drill hall space, <coughs> children were always drawn to the square to play. So when a library emerged, some of the first people who came were children. Mm. Now, because children were coming and enjoying the books, and it was only one shelf, <laughs> they finished and they were like, well, we actually want to dance, we, wanna, we want music, we want okay. to paint. 
So the children gave us a mandate in a sense. So when the children were asking all kinds of things, and the Vepa project had some remaining funds, then we could, because of this large space, contact collectives that we knew at the time. In theater, and music, and visual art and stuff, and like the children are asking for some things. Mm-hmm. Uh, between us, we don't have enough skills mm-hmm. to give them what they want, uh, but we have this huge space. So if you want to need to do workshops, performances, concerts, uh, let's think of a battering system. Mm-hmm. Give the children what they want in exchange of you using the space mm-hmm. for, for all kinds of things. Right. Um, and essentially that's how the after school program mm-hmm. developed. Okay. Right. Uh, it was a mandate that was like, books are not enough, books are not the only thing. What was beautiful though was the naming. Mm-hmm. <coughs> was that the naming the term Keliketla as a response to a storyteller's once upon a time. Um, so the response being Keliketla, I'm here to listen to you with active participation. Uh, as I was uh, sharing at the, at the session yeah. at Keliketla Library, is that it is, uh, it is therefore was always wanting to be a library that responds. Mm-hmm. And, and, and I always back, go back to to the children seeking more than the books, seeking more than what you started with and brought into the space, uh, and saying we actually have other things in mind. And then that leading to further call and response. So Keliketla as a call and response was really manifested and concretized at the very beginning mm-hmm. in terms of how the after school program emerged mm-hmm. uh, and developed and, and really became a key feature of the library. Mm-hmm. Um, so, so, in a sense, <clears throat> there's a drawing from responding to the social conditions, uh, the political conditions, uh, seeking to create that which is not there for you. Mm-hmm. At the same time, the, the student accommodation was two blocks away from the Johannesburg Art Gallery. Uh, and very few people knew it, right? Like, knew of it. I did because I was studying fine art and our, our lecturers used to take us there. Mm-hmm. But in the student accommodation, nobody knew. I mean, mm-hmm. so it was also about the uh, structures, the uh, institutions of culture, but it's a distant culture. Uh, right. nobody, is, nobody knows, or even if they know, they don't want to go. Organizing ciphers, regular ciphers, was a way of getting together, mm-hmm. to rap together, because that's what we do. So starting a collective that way, and then this collective ahead of towards graduation, uh, realizing that what we created is important, mm. let's take it further than rapping into forming a space, a library, mm-hmm. a formal space of gathering was important because we were forming a space informed by what we do. So we were informed by what we do um, and then and out of which then creating a space mm-hmm. that, that expands from that. But by inviting others, by also listening to what people are seeking, particularly the young people, then developed into this program of intergenerational conversations, right? Uh, but that also on a political level was informed by the fact that we knew that there's not enough spaces 
for all these collectives, including ourselves, before we gained right. access to this building <coughs> to do things. So we knew that it's resonant, that people are seeking space, and we have it. Right. So, so on that political level, it was also known that the city of Jobek does not have enough spaces. And mm -hmm. of course, the paradox being that Johannesburg Art Gallery was right there, and right. we're not using right. it. Right. <laughs> right. And, and, and in turn, <coughs> using a space that is being that belongs to the city, but being neglected by the city. Right. Yeah, <clears throat> I mean, that was one of the things that really stood out to me, <clears throat> being there, and I remember it quite distinctly, right, that, that here are the spaces that, that the city produces for the purpose of engaging an audience, and here's an audience ready to engage that's not interested in those spaces, and then here's a space that the city forgets, yeah. or, and then that's where the engagement occurs. Yeah. Right? I mean, I think that is... A, yeah. So this is a powerful, you know, it's about agency, it's about, <clears throat> uh, there's, there's, there's so much about that that has to do with people's relationship to space. Yes, you know, the know, temporal. And feeling welcome, you know, what, yeah. what's, what spaces are welcoming and what spaces are not. And, uh, question that I wanted to ask you about, about the, the, the process of, of welcoming the children, creating the space, being there, because in a sense, you know, Drill Hall is both, at the moment, Drill Hall is both an empty space yeah. uh, with, with a structure, right? A kind of physical structure. I, I, I remember the brick columns, the floor, yes. the wood, yes. right? Yes. A, across yes. from the square. Yes. And so it isn't the church, it isn't the school, it yeah. isn't any of these other institutions yeah. that, that, in this case, children, but even adults, navigate. And yet, at the same time, it's a place with, with such a monumental and heavy history, yes. right? Yes. Uh, which the children may or may not have been aware of. Um, perhaps they could see the fences and recognize that, you know, this is not just any kind of square, right? Yes. Because when you, at least my experience of Drill Hall, when you're in that space, that cement floor and the fences, is that you recognize it as a public space, but you recognize it that it isn't a park, right? It yeah. isn't, yeah. it's something yeah. else, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, and, and then you know the history of the hall. Um, so I'm, I'm really curious about how, how that facilitation occurred or, or what were the sort of signals or, or, or events or, you know, intuitions or thoughts or feelings that, that allowed a, a space that on the one hand is empty and has no content mm -hmm. and on the other has this huge historical content mm. and this particular mm. uh, yeah again it's not a church it's not a school it's mm. not a, a courthouse it's not a library it's mm. not a museum mm. 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 and yeah, there you are right and then there you are and there are the children and then suddenly things start happening yeah you know. bring me back to that like what's that you know, um, I mean look one thing is is, is, is is that when the city invited what they called anchor tenants, they did what I think is a good job, right? So there was an institution uh, that was based on skills transfer called the Jubic Child Welfare uh, that was involved in taking care of young people uh, for skills transfer. Then they selected another group, another organization that was looking at homeless people mm -hmm. and giving them a place to stay uh, and also involved the, 
the disclosed transferors and kind. And then invited, so they were, they were sheltering homeless people? Yes. Okay. yes. And then invited the Judith Park Project, who were for arts and culture. And they were tasked with sort of bringing the heritage, arts, culture, and heritage, actually, uh, to sort of activate in the space through mm -hmm. programming that, that revises the history. Mm -hmm. uh, so those structures were in place already. And then there's the square, which is just open for people to come in. And then all these three organizations could host things there, so as a shared space. So basically, already people were coming to the square mm -hmm. to just mm -hmm. chill and play. So when we because came, of these organizations being there, yeah, okay, uh, and also the square being open to everybody, okay. in a sense. Mm -hmm. So when we came, but but the Jubepa project was working on a project to project basis, and most of the time really contemporary art language, which 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 I think was also kind of alienating, mm. um, and would you know would have an effect where then other people stay on the margins and watch, in a sense, you know? So what we proposed was to be fully integrated, to be in the space, and to run on a daily basis instead of project to project. But we were part of that community. Right, so we were right, bringing right. that methodology of being part of a community, but having moments of showcase, right. of, of visibility, of visibilizing, right? Uh -huh. um, so, so when, and, 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 and it is here that I think it is the children's mandate that a shelf of books is not enough, we want more. That really made things mm -hmm. pop. Because mm -hmm. on the one hand, we, we did not have all the skills they wanted, so it made us reach out to mm -hmm. other collectives. Right. Right. But this also had an effect in terms of making us network. Mm -hmm. So by bringing other collectives, mm -hmm we are knowing more people. Remember, we are coming mm -hmm. out of similar mm -hmm. accommodation, so mm -hmm. we are also mm -hmm. still trying to be in connection with a broader world outside of that sort of isolated world of just uh, student accommodation. So that, that, that doubling created a, an effect where the immediate neighborhood knows now that, okay, if you are tired of just running on the square and playing soccer, there is dance that side. Mm -hmm. There is, you know, there is drama that side. There is visual art in this place called mm -hmm. Kiligeta. But also actually is a library where you can get books that mm -hmm. you cannot get in your library. And the schools in the inner city, most of them don't have library, especially in those, in that neighborhood where most of the schools actually are, are private, but not private in the sense that they're expensive. They are actually sometimes cheaper than government schools, mm. such as schools like GP Boys or Pactan Boys or Pactan Girls. Uh, so they, they are private in the sense that they are not government schools, but they're actually for working class mm. families. And most of them operate in buildings that used to be offices that have been abandoned. Okay. When this shift, when this exodus to the northern suburbs occurred, so many buildings were left empty in that neighborhood. So they became schools, cheap schools. So many of them actually don't have libraries. So, in fact, mm. what we did when we were first starting 2008, 2009, and, and starting this after school program after the kids asked, 
and then we were reaching out to collectives who, who needed space and had the skills. We were going to schools to ask parents, I mean, uh, 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 teachers that there's a program and, you know, learners mm -hmm. can come and participate. And of course, uh, you know, teachers were too busy, so they didn't mm -hmm. want to be engaging any further organizing. Right. And that didn't work. Right. And we, we packed it and continued with those who were interested. Mm -hmm. Then what happened is that every now and then, you'll start hearing from different schools, writing letters. Dear delegates, we hear about the work you're doing, which is really great. First, it was just about books. And, and, and these teachers asking us about books, and, which is this point that actually we don't have enough resources and libraries. So all the schools started writing us letters because the learners who now come go speak in the schools about mm -hmm. this mm -hmm. space. Mm -hmm. And uh, I mean, some of them were not so committal, but it was this Freedom College that really was like really serious in many ways. Um, and, and it is that actually that really created this, this, you know, this confluence of, of different understanding of the geography of Jubet Park and the neighborhood. Um, I'll send you a video, I don't know, seen it, it's called Reflections One. And this one is quite significant because there was a time when, when we approached Freedom College to work with them on a choir project. So when we were doing the history of the drill hall, we realized that during the prison trial of 1956, because the trial was really dragging, the, the trial is formed themselves into a choir. Hmm. Uh, Interesting. You know, because they were bored, you know, like right. this trial was ridiculous. And, right, and, right. You know, so they formed the choir and then and this part of us, and then Freedom College invites, well, we approach Freedom College to say, okay, this is a very interesting factor, and we know you have a school choir. And then the teacher who was the choir conductor was very excited to collaborate with us, but then after agreeing, left the school. Hmm. During that time, then somebody who was coming to the drill hall for a music studio that was operating had these children singing and came upstairs <laughs> and asked if they could be involved and at the time we were like okay we'll see because we still had the school choir conductor and then the following week when the school choir left the school we were left with no conductor and that person actually mm. can conduct and then there it was <laughs> she was now the new conductor <laughs> with a band of young practitioners who were collaborating with and uh, it was a phenomenal project mm. so i think it is this ability to work within and and finally enough at the time there was a, a project called 100 meter radius uh, which was which came out of the funds by the previous organization that that when we applied to occupy the space we we're about to leave so mm. the funds came few years later after they given up or given over the space to us and then there was these funds that we could use so so the project was called 100 meter radius which is about really involving the neighborhood mm -hmm. and yet there were there was this ability for people beyond the neighborhood the school of arts students have facilitated many projects people from other geographies have 
facilitate the projects. So the ability to work within, be immersed within uh, the immediate neighborhood and also have people from elsewhere coming to the space to mm -hmm. collaborate was quite critical. Mm -hmm. Right? Uh, it was yeah. very, very important in, in creating this environment that is quite open because right. at the end of the day, people don't want to be parochial. People want to be with others. They 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 want to see the world broader than where they are. Thank you so much for joining us on this episode of the YPAR podcast. My big takeaways from Mariah Nuben's conversation include hearing how organically small informal gathering spaces can lead to the creation of such important community spaces like Kelikatla. I learned about how we can reimagine what libraries and artistic spaces can look like, and how sites like Keliketla can be grounded within community and a neighborhood, and also bring people across the city together. Stay tuned for our next episode, and see you next time! <laughs>